Uh, these first three Sundays in November, we've decided to take a bit of a different approach to what we do on Sunday mornings, and we want to talk about the mission that God has called us together to do together. And so I hope if you're here last week or watched it at home, that you heard that we have a passion for Christ and a heart for people, and we want to develop a life of service as we invite, encourage, and equip people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's our mission here at Local Bonavista Baptist Church. So last week, we looked at the local mission of the local church. This week, we're expanding our horizons a little bit to talk about our family connections and the family of the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada and the churches and ministries that are engaged. And so I am so thrilled to have the executive minister here in our presence today, along with lovely Bonnie, his wife. And, uh, and so Rob Ogilvy, Reverend Rob Ogilvy, is here to speak to us today. And Rob and I, I think we first met, along with Linda Ferguson, who's at the back there, we were in a ministerial together for a while down in the lower mainland. And so it's been great, Rob, to watch how God has led you and your family over these years in various forms of leadership, and now as our executive minister. And so we're grateful to have you here. Why don't you come up? And I just want to pray for you as we begin. Father, thank you so much for Rob, and we pray your blessing on him today as he speaks. May he know your spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Well, you never know what's going to happen when the family shows up, eh? Oh, that's the scary part about this. Wow. It, it's great to be back at Bonavista. Um, and I do say back at Bonavista. Because some of you will recall, many of you won't, but some of you will recall that my wife Bonnie and I were members here about 100 years ago. And uh, it was, uh, we have been a part of this congregation and we've been connected to this congregation for, for a long time. And, and uh, as people were coming in this morning, uh, lifelong friends uh, who are here, and uh, I, even, I even worked maintenance in this building at one time. I think it was the summer of 1991. Isn't there a song like, no, I don't think that's right. But uh, where I worked maintenance, I painted some of the wall, although they changed it now. So it's, it's all different, it's all gone. But, uh, but I did a, a certain amount of that. I think I mowed the lawn a couple of times as well, something like that too. You as a congregation uh, supported us financially when we as a family moved from Calgary to Vancouver for me to attend seminary at Regent College. And uh, that was a tremendous blessing to us as well. Uh, I was just reflecting on this in the last couple of days and thinking, you know, when we left here, our eldest daughter was eight months old, and now she's a physician in this city. So uh, time has marched on, and uh, things are a little bit different. But uh, really glad to be here. We, Bonnie and I recently moved back to Calgary. Uh, just within the last year, and uh, that's been so that primarily so that we could be closer to our kids and our grandkids, and so we're pretty excited about that too, and uh, I just said to somebody a few minutes ago, I said, you know, the, the thing that I realized in moving back to Calgary, especially after living in the Lower Mainland for 20 years, is that uh, underground heated parking and living in a condo are the ideal scenario, because you don't have to shovel it and your car's still okay. So... Uh, it's all good, but I'm really thankful for this invitation to be here, Scott, and, and your team uh, to come and to be a part, and to be a part of CBWC Sunday. Uh, I have the privilege, as Scott mentioned, of serving as the executive minister of this denomination 
The Canadian Baptist is made up of 160 churches that go from Vancouver Island to eastern Manitoba to the Yukon and the Northwest Territories. And for some of you that might be visiting on, uh, online who aren't familiar with Canada, I encourage you to get your uh, atlases out. No, there's no such thing as an atlas anymore probably, right? Go online, check it out, and you will see that it's, a, it's over a million square miles of territory where we have these 160 churches spread out. I remember being in, uh, down in Texas a few years ago and meeting with somebody from the Texas Baptist Convention, and I said to him, how many churches do you have? And they said, 5,000 churches. And I said, yeah, and Texas is a pretty big state, but it's not quite as big as the four Western provinces and the territories of, of Western Canada. So uh, uh, I was humbled, I must admit, <laughs> by meeting him and connecting with him. But it was good to be able to do that. My role as executive minister is... Uh, really, and, and that of my team, is to support local church pastors and leaders, to support chaplains, to support camp directors, and to support others as they navigate the ministry that God has called them to in their communities and beyond. Just like you said, you're talking last week about ministry with, of your, yourselves here in your own community, and now talking about what it is that's beyond. And I see our role as the denominational people to be here to walk with you and to support you in that. It was almost four years ago now that we as a denomination established three key priorities that all of our ministries fall under. And again, similar to what Scott was just mentioning with these uh, three mission points for you. We as a denomination have three key priorities. The first one that we call cultivating leadership. And cultivating leadership happens through resourcing and education of church pastors and leaders. But it's also through preparing the next generation of leaders through our camps and through our gap year program that's known as Curios. Some of you may have heard of that recently. Curios, well, okay, I'll take the step back. Some of you are familiar with something called the Baptist Leadership Training School, or BLTS. That was our gap year program for the Baptist Union of Western Canada before the term gap year was ever used. And um, now Curios is our gap year program. It's in its infancy. This is just its second class. Um, launching a gap year program in a pandemic has a few challenges, I must admit. But what is really cool is how in hearing the stories of the individuals, just the few individuals who have been a part of this program already, how they have been impacted and their walk with God has been impacted, has been incredible. And so I'm really grateful for that launch. Our second priority is investing in relationships. I keep saying that ministry is all about relationships. And the reason why I keep saying that is because it actually is. You know, in order for relationships to grow, if we've learned anything in the last 20 months, and we've learned a lot in the last 20 months, but in order for relationships to grow, people need time together, right? We actually do need to come together. We, need, we do that denominationally through regional ministerial groups, assembly meetings, a couple of weeks ago, we had our Banff Pastors and Spouses Conference. 220 of us gathered together. Can you imagine? It just blows your mind. It's kind of like coming here today. I'm thinking, this is only the second time I've spoken in front of a live congregation in the last 20 to 22 months. I'm really thankful I, was, I remembered to wear pants. Because, you know, when you're on Zoom... When you're on Zoom, you only dress from here up, right? So it really, you really aren't quite sure what it might be. But we invest in relationships with one another and with our ministry partners that are around the world. Third priority is engaging in mission. 
Engaging in mission keeps us looking well beyond ourselves. In, in trying to help settle new Canadians who have had to flee their own countries for many reasons, or by supporting our local churches and encouraging them to plant new congregations. And a few years ago, our assembly agreed to sign the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And so from that, we need to continue to learn how to put action to our words. You know, I hear from surveys and various media outlets all the time that denominations no longer matter, and that denominationalism is dead, or it's soon to disappear. And I realize that any argument that I might make that supports denominations may seem to be rather self-serving, since I'm employed by one. But my sincere belief <clears throat> does go way beyond just keeping my job, because trust me, I'm now at the stage where I'm really not worried about keeping my job. It's kind of nice to be at that stage, isn't it, for those of us that have gotten there. That's not our agenda. I truly believe that denominations play a huge role in supporting the local church. <clears throat> when I was a pastor of a small congregation in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, I had a bike accident one night. I broke six ribs and my collarbone. It was just a bicycle. It wasn't a motorcycle. I know you're thinking it's pretty hardcore, but it really wasn't. And the ground in Weyburn, Saskatchewan is flat as a pancake. So I know you're going to come up afterwards and say, how in the world could you fall off your bike? Six ribs <laughs> and a collarbone the night before I was to do a funeral. My regional minister showed up the next day and did the funeral on my behalf. In that same church, we were considering a building program. The CBWC Foundation came out. We shared, they shared wisdom and experience with us. And then we partnered together to make it happen. And it happened. We built a new sanctuary onto what was just an office building at that particular point in time. And it changed the scope and the life of the ministry of that congregation. I served as a regional minister in BC in the Yukon for nine years. And as I did that, I walked with churches as they went through pastoral transitions, deeply conflicted situations, significant financial challenges, and all kinds of other things that can occur in church life that I'm sure many of you can relate to as well as you consider your own church life. And for the most part, these churches were extremely grateful for the, the, the fact that someone would walk alongside them and, and knowing that if they were in trouble, or even if they just had a question, their first call could always be to their regional office because they knew that the role of the people in that regional office was to try to help them and to support them in any way that they possibly could. The other reason why I say this with conviction is because, you know, when I served as that regional minister for those nine years in BC, at least three or four times in that time, I had phone calls from pastors of independent churches asking me for help. That may seem a little, it seemed really bizarre to me, I must admit at the time. Pastors of independent churches, churches that had no affiliation whatsoever, reached out to a denominational leader from a denomination that they're not connected to in order to get some help because they didn't know who else to turn to. So the beautiful thing about being in family is that when we know one another, we don't need to hesitate. We can ask. And we're all a part of this family known as the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada. So what's my point? My point in sharing all of this with you is to say that I'm not sure what's going to happen with denominations. Things may change. 
they may, they may disappear in due course. But what I want to assure you is that denominations and denominational leaders, first of all, are far from perfect. But that those of us who serve in these types of roles truly believe that God calls people into these roles to support you, to support the local church. And it does seem that if there is ever a time that the local church may need support, we are in it. This COVID storm is unrelenting, right? As you are set up here in this space, in this way, um, I just commend you, first of all, for the incredible work you've done in order to be able to go online with your services the way that you have and the quality that you are doing it with. It's been a real challenge when you think of 160 churches. I remember in the first summer of COVID, one pastor saying, well, I am the tech person, I am the sound person, I am the video person, and I am the preacher. So no, I won't be taking vacation this year. That has been part of the reality. And so I thank you as you keep going. I remember as well in the summer of 2020, pastors telling me that, that the issue of opening church doors or, or keeping their churches locked down was dividing their churches. They would have people come to them from their church. And if this is you, I implore you today to find a new tact. But if you are one of those people who has come to your pastor with an ultimatum, saying that if the doors aren't open, then you're leaving the church, while somebody else comes up to them and says, well, if the doors are open, we're leaving the church. It's not right. And you know, as we went through that whole time of lockdown, we had this promise, right? Vaccinations. Vaccinations were coming. We held out hope that the vaccinations would come. And now vaccinations have come. And what's happened? They've become weaponized. And people use similar threats to that of closing. If vaccines aren't enforced, I'm leaving the church. If vaccines are enforced, I'm leaving the church. I got to say, my heart aches for the local church pastor and leaders. Because it has been a most trying time for them. We've had our own trying times as far as denominational work goes but I haven't walked this journey in the same way that your pastoral team has. And everybody else who has stepped up to do things, thank them. Thank them for the way, think of the way that COVID has changed your own life outside of church. And then don't forget about what it's doing with you in the life of these church. My heart also aches for the families that are divided over this. There are far too many families who are divided over this. You know, they say division is often referred to as the devil's foothold. And it's the last thing that we as followers of Jesus Christ need. Some of you may also be aware that we as a CBWC are at a crossroads. We're attempting to understand our identity as we wrestle with questions about the autonomy of the local church and how that gets balanced off with our responsibility to one another. What does that responsibility to one another look like? Since we are all part of this family of churches. And there's some significant conversations that have had, been had, and there's some more significant conversations to be had. 
I believe that my role as the executive minister of the CBWC is to facilitate a process whereby the churches will decide the answers to these questions. It's not my role to answer the questions. It's not the role of our staff to answer the questions. It's the role of the churches. And that has made it a challenging time. Because for one church, it's enough to go through some of these conversations. Multiply that out by 160, and everybody try to figure out how it is that we work together. It's a challenging time. I get people saying to me all the time that they are so thankful that they don't have my job. And then the nicer ones would say, well, your job is the last thing in this world that I would want. <laughs> it's always very reassuring. <laughs> no, it's okay. But it's because of all of these things, and this is a long preamble. Don't worry, I won't go for another 45 minutes after this, I promise. It's been a long preamble, but I wanted to tell you a little bit about who we are, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about where we're at. But it's because of all these things, all these challenges, the stressors, the divisions, the suspicions, that for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about prayer. I'm guessing you didn't see that coming. And then I want to invite you to commit to being a part of a prayer initiative that you can be a part of if you so wish. You know, when you talk about prayer from Scripture, there, it's hard to choose sometimes where you want to speak from. Because there's so many great examples. You know, just before Jesus is arrested in John 17, he prays that he himself might be glorified. He prays for those who have been closest to him. And he prays for all who will hear the good news of him and believe. You ever stop and think about the fact that Jesus prayed for us in John 17? Or in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches a powerful message after the Holy Spirit came upon the people at Pentecost. We're told that those who believed devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread together, and prayer. Those three things received the significance to be noted scripturally. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, being together, the breaking of bread together, and prayer. So today I decided I wanted to look at two parables uh, that are told by Jesus. We find them in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. The parables, uh, for those of you that have been around in church life, you will recognize. One is quite well known as the parable of the persistent widow, and the second is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Excuse me, I just needed that. Luke chapter 18, though, starts this way at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what other people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Seems like strange motivation, I know, but... And the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring justice about, or bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
Second parable, starting at verse 9, is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Like I said, probably for many of you, these are very well-known stories. And, and, and in some ways, as I was looking at them, I thought, well, you could summarize them just like this. First one, keep praying. Second one, you could take it a few different ways, but I said, know your place before God. You know, prayer is one of those foundational things to our faith, and yet it can also seem to be problematic for some as well. British pastor and theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones once stated, of all the activities in which the Christian engages and which are part of the Christian life, there is surely none which causes us so much perplexity and raises so many problems as the activity which we call prayer. Some of you might get that right away, and others of you might go, well, I'm not sure. Let me see if I can give you an example. Just over a year ago, our daughter Annie and her husband Kent were serving as missionaries in a small country, in the small country of Belize. As Hurricane Nana came barreling towards their coastline last summer, we began begging people from around the world to join us in prayer for their safety and for that of the nation. I never had watched the National Hurricane Center's website before this, but as a protective parent, all of a sudden it became a regular thing for me. And we watched this storm coming towards this small country where our kids were, and we prayed, and we prayed. The morning the hurricane hit that coastline, it immediately dissipated. In the nation of Belize, no lives were lost. There was a little bit of minor flooding, virtually no damage to the entire country. To us, there is no explanation other than a miracle of God and answered prayer. Also last summer, my friend, Pastor Samuel Tolbert, from St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana, also had two hurricanes hit his coast. One of those hurricanes leveled his church building, and the other one left his family without any electrical power for 30 days. Where was their miracle? Why didn't that storm just dissipate? And as you sit here, each of you are going through examples in your own minds, I have no doubt. 
things that you have walked, journeys that you have walked. Sometimes where that miraculous thing happens that there's no other explanation other than God himself. And other times where you're going, God, what, why? Didn't you hear me? I'm not here with the answers. <laughs> I can't tell you why some prayers seem to be answered the way that we want them to while others are not. I can't tell you why it seems that sometimes the voice of one person who asks something is heard, and yet when a huge number of people ask, it still doesn't go the way of the crowd. But I am challenged by the fact that as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, we are called to prayer. And this might be easier said than done, but perhaps we need to spend less time trying to understand what it is, and how it works, and more time actually doing it. Now, I don't mean that we just go blind. I don't mean that we shouldn't seek to understand prayer, but, but you know what happens is if we spend all of our time dissecting it, if we spend all of our time wrestling with it, if we spend all our time questioning God why he didn't do what we asked of him, you know what happens is that we probably forget to actually pray. The first of these two parables that we looked at teaches us to pray without giving up. God wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to be talking to him and bringing our cares and our concerns before him, as well as taking the time to thank him and to praise him for who he is and all that he has done for us. And the second parable also encourages prayer, but, but prayer that recognizes that we are not the creator. We are the created. And we should not spend our time putting others down in order to build ourselves up. But we should, our, should spend our time earnestly trying to approach God, confessing, Father, forgive me, for I am a sinner. And then humbly asking, our prayers should come from a place of hope and faith, not a place of pride or privilege. We live in a world of privilege. And this one keeps hitting home to me over and over and over again these days. Our prayer life can't come out of that privilege. And so it is for all these reasons that I've just been talking about that as a people or as a family of churches known as the CBWC, we believe that we're being called to a time of collective prayer. A time of praying the same words together, opening our hearts to hear his voice together. Rather than working on our own way and voicing our own way through troubled times, we humble ourselves and invite God's Spirit to transform our hearts and our minds, making space for His voice to be heard, revealing His way for us together. Using the Lord's Prayer as a framework, for seven Sundays in a row beginning January 9th, and I know churches have uh, other things already planned, and things that are happening in their lives. We're not trying to impose more than a couple of minutes but as a part of prayer, as a part of your service, 
beginning January 9th, we invite your congregation to join with the rest of this family of churches and the CBWC staff and the CBWC board members to pray. And I, and I ask you, I beg of you, I encourage you to pray with the persistence of the widow who stood before that judge, not giving up until justice was served. To pray with the humility of the tax collector who cried out to God at the temple, asking for God to have mercy on him, a sinner. To pray for unity within our churches that things like vaccines would not cause division. And to pray for God's leading for this denomination of churches and that together we might hear him and together we might be faithful to him. In just a moment, you're going to see a short video that also introduces this prayer initiative and invite you to watch that in a second. But just before I leave you, I, I want to share with you uh, one other quote. This quote's from Oswald Chambers, the Scottish Baptist evangelist and teacher from the turn of the century. And, and when I say turn of the century, I don't mean, you know, 1900 to 2000. Uh, take that back 100 years. I knew I had to throw in a good Scottish person if Scott, in Scott's church, so it was important. But this is what Chambers said. It's a short little line, but I think it has a profound meaning for us. Prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer does not equip us for greater works. Prayer is the greater work. We struggle to to, to find the time. We struggle to find the words. We struggle to know if God is listening or to believe if God is listening. But as people of faith, I encourage you today to cry out and say, God, have mercy on us, for we are sinners. And may we humble ourselves before him and watch with expectation as to what it is that he might do in this family of churches and beyond. Amen. Greetings. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture reminds us over and over again that our God calls us to listen to his voice and to discern together how to live faithfully in this world and to do that by creating space for His Spirit to guide us. When we are in troubling times, when we lose sight of God's will and action in the world, when we are flummoxed, and when we long for God's kingdom to be revealed in our challenges and uncertainties, God reminds us to come back to a posture of prayer, to orienting ourselves to Him, so we can discern how then shall we live. As God's people, he calls us to collective prayer. Together we pray the same words. Together we posture ourselves to hear his voice. Rather than working out our own way through troubling times, together we humble ourselves and invite God's spirit to transform our minds and our hearts in order to reveal his will to us. Together we pray our Father, just as Jesus taught us. CBWC 
executive staff, and board have prayerfully sensed a calling of our churches to collective prayer for the purpose of orienting our hearts and minds to the voice of God, our God who invites us to join Him at work in His world. We invite you to join with our CBWC churches each Sunday during your worship service prayer time, beginning January 9th through February 27th, as we collectively pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done.